In an effort to help as many small businesses as possible, a member of our beloved age and community created a tool called thefundingnote.com. Thefundingnote.com is where you can easily search and track all the funding programs, grants, loans, tax credit programs in the United States that will help your business get access to capital during these troubling times. However, if you're too busy running your business and don't have the time to browse for funding programs, you can also sign up for the weekly newsletter to get emails on new, updated, and expiring programs locally and nationwide directly to your inbox so you can stay up to date on the latest funding programs that are relevant to your business with very minimal effort. TheFundingNote.com is updated on a daily basis and is currently tracking thousands of programs across the nation. It is completely free to use, so don't hesitate to check out TheFundingNote.com today. That's T-H-E-F-U-N. D-I-N-G-N-O-T-E dot com. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Che Huang. He is the CEO and co-founder of Box Wholesale. Box is the wholesale experience for those without the time, means, or patience for a brick and mortar warehouse club trip. The company currently delivers to anywhere in the continental USA and has raised $300 million in funding to date. In 2015, Che announced he would personally pay for the college tuitions of all of his employees' children. Prior to Boxed, Che was the CEO of AstroApe, one of the first mobile social gaming studios. After Zynga's pre-IPO acquisition of AstroApe, he became the director of Zynga Mobile New York, leading the fastest and most efficient game team within Zynga. Che, welcome to the show. Thanks for, uh, for having me. I'm a big fan of you guys and what you guys are up to. And so uh, I've been hooked on the, the Facebook feed. So this will be pretty fun and, and really exciting for me personally. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show. And to be honest, we spent all day, all week, listening to all your interviews and learning more about <laughs> you. We're so inspired, you know, we're super inspired. And for our listeners, can you kind of give it like a run through of how you got into entrepreneurship? You understand that you study in law school, but how'd you get into entrepreneurship? Yeah, that's that's oftentimes like the same question that my parents have for me because uh, they still want me to go back to becoming a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, my mom still asks me like, when am I when am I going to get a real job? Uh, she no, she hasn't asked me that in probably two years now. But uh, even probably up until two years ago, she had this like secret hope that I would go back to a law firm. Wow. It was easier to explain to her friends and family. And, uh, you know, obviously like being a lawyer is like, you know, it's like a beacon of, of great things for her. It's like, I'm not a doctor. Oh, too bad. But he's a lawyer. So, uh, <laughs> something she was very proud of and like heartbroken when I left the law firm. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, I did leave the law firm. Um, but I did feel like though that the law, um, allowed me to, uh, not only be exposed to entrepreneurship, but also for me to be prepared for it uh, in a little bit of, of a strange way. So um, it allowed me the opportunity to be exposed to it uh, because I was in corporate law. And I remember after hours, and this is already pretty late because corporate attorneys, I mean, after your regular hours are already pretty brutal, um, but staying afterwards and reviewing the documents and doing research, not on the client's time, but just doing my own research on what is this business about how did they get here? Mm-hmm. Um, I realized a lot, it was a lot of hard work, 
by these kind of founders and these entrepreneurs. Um, it was a lot of timing and that um, there wasn't anything special or magical about these folks. Um, they got lucky, they worked hard, um, and they made the right decisions. And I thought maybe I could do the same. Yeah, we love that a lot. And that seems to be a consistent theme within the Asian Awesome Network as well. Everyone sharing their story is like, hey, I got into entrepreneurship. A lot of it is by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the situation is like very similar, similar to yourself. It's like, I'm not happy in my current job. I don't want to do this. I'm going to try entrepreneurship. And we tried to talk to our parents about it. It's always this awkward conversation, including my parents too. They're like, you're leaving your engineering job for a Facebook group? What does that even mean? <laughs> You know, <laughs> totally, man. I, I, I was the same way. Uh, and, um, you know, one thing I do want to kind of um, uh, just button up in terms of what I just said is, mm-hmm. you know, I do think like understanding the law uh, to a certain degree. Right. I was only at the law firm for a few years. So our our legal department here thinks I'm a tourist. They, I'm not like they're like, you're not a real attorney. You're a tourist. <laughs> um, uh, and but what it taught me was when to know something can go really wrong and that you really need professional help or what are the things that, ah, that's, you know, that's really not that important. Um, and so understanding the rules of the game, um, uh, really helped me play the game. Uh, if that makes sense. What were you feeling at the time when you were making that jump and what's like one advice that you can give to the aspiring entrepreneurs in AHN who are trying to make that jump? There are a lot of them on the group. You know, I see it every day. Um, and you know, I, I, um, uh, the one thing that I will always remember is in our first company, uh, as you mentioned before, Maggie, it was actually a social gaming company. I quit. Uh, so I started my law firm job on September 15, 2008, okay. uh, about nine or 10 hours after Lehman Brothers collapsed, one block over. Um, and so literally that was my first day of my professional life. Um, I had my new suit, my new briefcase, my new shoes, you know, um, uh, and I walked into a building and across the, the across Broadway, um, there were thousands of people streaming out of the building with bankers boxes because they all had gotten light off with no, no, no warning. Um, so I tried to hold on to the job as best as I could. And I was, you know, rather successful for a few years. And so quitting that job cold turkey was really tough uh, for me. Um, but I liken it to this one trip I took when I was like in my early twenties uh, to, to Asia where we went, uh, we hired someone to go to take us around a little boat to go cliff diving. Um, I'm not a cliff diver. I'm a decent swimmer, but I'm not a cliff diver. I've never, you know, um, they take you to these little like kind of random atolls in the middle of the Pacific ocean. Um, this is, um, and you jump off of them all day long and it's like the, the weirdest thing ever. It sounds not so attractive now that I'm older. I'm like, why would I ever do that? You know, um, but it was really fun at the time. Uh-huh. And you go progressively higher every day. Um, or no, every, every stop, he takes you to a bigger and bigger one. And the last stop of the day, you're like 40, 50 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and you climb up this cliff and it's rather slippery. Uh, there's no way down. There's literally no way down. You can't climb. It's more dangerous to try to climb down because you probably fall. Yeah. Um, so you have to jump at that point. Right. And I remember looking down and seeing rocks right off the, right off the edge of the cliff. So meaning that you had to jump out. If you just let yourself fall, you're going to die or you're going to really hurt yourself. Yeah. So I was like, shit, like this is not a good decision in life. Why, why did I do this? Um, <laughs> I screamed down at the guy who, who brought us here. I was like, you're, are you coming? He's like, 
not very safe, you know? And I was like, well, you didn't tell me that before <laughs> you know, we made this 40 foot ascent. Um, and so I just remember taking a step back cause you, you don't get a running start. You take a step back and then you just jump out and quitting the law firm job was the same feeling in the sense that mm-hmm. as I was walking out of the door that final evening at the law firm, right. it was scary until the moment you cleared the door and it was the mo- it was the same moment that I jumped off that cliff um, in the sense that you don't look behind you mm-hmm. like you don't look back to the cliff and say oh my gosh how do I get back up there yeah. you're just trying to make sure you hit the water right and swim and just make sure you, you, you stay afloat mm-hmm. um, and after I quit and after walking out those doors I never looked back and I just felt like well, all my lifeboats are gone, so I better just make sure I hit the water safely and just like paddle as hard hard as I can um, to make it all work. Wow. 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 That gave me chills. I feel like that was such a good analogy. And mm-hmm. oftentimes people look back because they think like, did I make the right decision? I regret doing that, you know, but for you, you just looked forward. That's really inspiring. So I can totally relate. I, I had the same feeling when I left my job as well. I knew for a fact I would never come back to corporate I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep swimming forward. I'm still in the process of swimming. So I feel like right now I'm just swimming in the same spot, not really hitting any shores or any boats to save me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can totally relate, but it's that feeling where you feel like money's not everything. You know, you, you work yeah. really hard and you make a really good salary and your identity is tied so much to money at, at that certain point. It's like when you left that, that's actually the part that hurt the most. It's like, dang, yeah. I, I can't do things I want to do normally. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't buy yeah. what I want to buy. I, I think what I found is that, you know, I, I'm, I, I live through the same thing you guys are living through and probably uh, tens of thousands of people who are part of the network are living through today. Mm-hmm. What I found is what's really helpful is to remember why you made that jump. Just remember. Um, remember that person um, uh, of whatever year you guys made that jump. It was actually pretty recent, right? It was like last year, you know, it's yeah. been amazing the traction you guys have had. Um, so you take that moment in time and unless you feel like you guys are just idiots, <laughs> which I think you probably have good self-confidence yourself. There was something about that moment that made you think what you're doing now is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And you have to always keep track of that little that little nugget of inspiration and think back at why are you doing this? Like, what was it about that moment that made you take such a drastic decision? And if you trust that person, and if you trust that person at that time, uh, um, then that person's probably gonna say, you know what? You gotta shut the F up and keep marching. Um, uh, Cause you know, if you look back and said, wow, in a year, it, like if you look back to yourselves now and went back to you guys back in 2019 and said, in a year, we're going to have this many thousand subscribers. We're going to be having a successful podcast. You guys would be like, sign me up for that. You know, that sounds pretty awesome for a year. Um, and for everyone else out there, you have to keep track of that. You have to, you have to trust that person that made that initial leap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something that we both do as well. We mm-hmm. keep a whiteboard to keep track of our little wins. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, when you hit like a big roadblock or big turning point it's like man like what am i doing this is so much pain causing my i can have an yeah. easy life and just you know work with someone else not to worry about this <laughs> yeah the the, mo- the motivation changes over time uh, i would yeah. say um because you're exactly right you know when you when you said before is like when you when you 
when you first try to break out on your own, you, you try to make it, you, you may be trying to be your own boss, trying to make it financially. Um, but the irony is that after a certain amount of time, it starts to become, you, you keep doing it and you, you stay passionate because of the people around you. Right. That it's no longer about what it, what it means for you personally anymore. It's right. just like, man, I got all these people in this mess. You yeah. know, it's my job to make sure that we get to safety and we get a great yeah. result. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's definitely, that's definitely been the, the, the path that I, I've, I've walked because um, my motivation is completely different than what it was on day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I really love that CEO mindset and approach too. Yeah. Like for your first team that you had a boss, how did you keep them motivated and keep you keep them keep them along the process of your growth? Like it's super hard to like have a north star, but a lot of things are mismatched and moving different directions. Like how did you keep your first team so motivated? Yeah, I, I think you'll find that I won't BS you guys when things are hard and mm-hmm. you know uh, things when when I'm still trying to figure things out. And part of the fun of this job is we're I'm constantly learning. Mm-hmm. And part of the difficulty is that I'm constantly learning. Like we have way more people now. We're all remote. And even for me, I struggle to keep everyone motivated and, and kind of focused on the goal. Um, and so I can't say I have a magic bullet there for, for the world today. Um, I will say though, to your question about that initial team in the initial years, um, it was all about making folks believe that they're, they've signed on to something special. Um, and I, and I remember doing that for the first two or three years um, uh, by having a company meeting every year. Um, and we would rent a movie theater, uh, sh- show a movie, let people play like video games on a giant movie theater screen, which is, you know, everyone's like childhood kind of dream. Uh, and then we would go through the wins of the previous year. Um, uh, and this is before we go off onto a big party. Um, and the most impactful thing probably for the first three years we did it was that um, the end of the slideshow, I would put up um, these early pictures. I'm sure you've seen them of like, what did Google's first 20 people look like? They're all like the era clothing and they're all like, like a lot of them it's like, Oh, there were country bumpkins back then or just college students. Um, And then you see like the early pictures of Disney and uh, early pictures of even kind of um, uh, um, Alibaba and Amazon of those first employees and I snuck, I would always sneak a picture as people would go into the theater. Um, and I still get goosebumps telling the story. And I would then show that picture of everyone that day. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's very rare in life, I would tell them. And I, I still fundamentally believe that you are invited uh, and in the position to be on a journey like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that if we do this right, one day there will be an, a movie theater of people just like you looking at a picture of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not many opportunities for that in life. There's always going to be opportunities for you to find a great job, always going to be opportunities for you to, you know, live a, live a pretty standard life, but this is our moment and this is our shot. And so this is a very special team that's going after this. And I, I remember people afterwards be like, fuck yeah, you know, like and, <laughs> and really excited, you know, um, it's not as easy when you have hundreds of employees now. Uh, no, everyone doesn't fit in the same picture, and you know, uh, it's not a similar story. So the motivations, uh, or or the, the reason, or the way to motivate them, 
motivate them ha- has had to change. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. I, I remember Brian and I were talking to another entrepreneur and they said that the one thing that they regret was not taking enough pictures. And those are just like the little things that are so important because as you grow and scale and become so big, it's like there's nothing to look back on if you don't take enough pictures. So I really love that about you. Oh, <laughs> oh Maggie, like I, now, I, I have to think about not sharing this with some of our early employees now because <laughs> One of the first employees of Box, mm-hmm. the first day we started, he said, you know what? We should film all of this. Because he was at our other company as well. And he yeah. was like, first day in the garage, all the way to an IPO. Like, yeah. who's ever filmed that? And I was like, um, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just because, and then I'm like, I'm like, come on, let's get down to business. We're not filming a reality show here. And also the inner attorney in me thought like, you're going to film everything we're going to say over the next, like, how many years? Uh-huh. But I look back, and had we done it, it would have been the wildest drama ever filmed. Uh, just, and not because it was us, but just any, any journey from first day to that eventually great result, I hope, yeah. um, would make for a compelling story. And so he never lets me live that down. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, it's a regret of mine. That's awesome. So while you were starting out for Box, you know, how did that inspiration come about? You know, like what kind of problem were you trying to solve? And I'm very curious to know, like, because you came from a background of law, did you have any experience in supply chain management? Like, how did you know how to source all of these products at such large quantities? Um, I did not. And neither did anyone on the, uh, on the, founding team. And one of the first emails uh, that we like captured within the box server and we actually show at our, uh, we actually, we haven't shown it for a few years now, but we used to show it all the time was I, I wrote this email to uh, our COO saying, I got the, I got the UPS printer working exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. <laughs> and he wrote back, fuck yeah. You know, like that we had taken over the world just because we got this thermal printer working uh, and they were logistics experts. And, you know, so that, that shows the base of knowledge we had. Um, we figured out a lot of it on our own, but also hired the right people a little bit before we needed them. Um, so our VP of transportation at his interview, when we proposed hiring him, cause he was a consultant of ours. Um, he said, you don't need me at this point. And I was like, we're going to need you next year though. Um, and sure enough, it was a great call by us because a lot of these topics, some of the topics in businesses are very rote and very well-traveled. You don't need to learn the hard way. There's other things that, that no one else has invented and you have to do it yourself. Um, but some of the things like shipping, transportation, that's all been done before. So there's no need for us to learn it the, uh, the hard way. Yeah, it's really, it's really awesome to hear. And you know, kind of going back to like, the entrepreneurial journey as well. Like a lot of people in the Asian Hustle Network are trying to quit their jobs, trying to start side hustles, and just people in the journey feeling the grunt of everything. Uh, we know it takes a lot of grit and entrepreneurship. But how do you keep yourself motivated on a daily basis? As you mentioned before, your motivation goes through cycles. You feel motivated some days, some days you're like, Oh God, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> so how do you keep yourself going? I think there is the practical aspect of it as well as the kind of emotional aspect of it. The practical aspect is that everyone always, when they found their company is so focused on how am I going to raise money or is this going to work? What's the runway for the company? But they often don't think about what's their personal runway. And so I've heard a lot of founders who, 
you know, didn't think about how much savings they had, either had to make big trade-offs in their lifestyle on day one or were running out of cash personally after 90 days trying it. That's not a real run at your dream. You know, so luckily I saved enough money at the law firm to live a normal lifestyle. I didn't have to give up my apartment. I couldn't go out as much, but I could still hang out with friends once in a while. Um, but I had personal runway for a year. Um, um, it doesn't have to be a year, but it has to be something where you can live with yourself to say, I gave it a fair shot. Like, so it's not like you're looking back, look for another job after 60 days. That's not a, that's not a real shot. Um, the emotional aspect of it I've learned is that you have to treat it like a statistical curve and delete the outliers. Cause I'm sure you guys have this, you have some extreme highs and extreme lows sometimes on the same damn day. Um, and you know, if you let yourself get taken on that roller coaster ride, it's very unhealthy emotionally and for your team. Um, and so you just have to make sure you don't let yourself get too high and don't let yourself get too low. Um, and it's just one step at a time every day. Yeah. I, I like that too. It's consistency that matters a lot too. And you know, you're the type of person that celebrates too early or gets to the press. You're the leader. You're, you are the brand of the company. Totally, man. And, and I learned that I learned it the hard way, Frank. A lot of these lessons I've learned the hard way, man. Like, um, like I learned because I wasn't good at this. And so, you know, I remember in our first company, you know, like we got written up in Forbes and I was like, Oh my gosh. And it was awesome. And people downloaded the game and I was on cloud nine. And then the next day, Oh my gosh, like downloads are going down. And like there's, <laughs> inner team fighting going on. And then I would come home so emotionally exhausted mm-hmm. that there's no way in that emotional state, I could have kept that up for a decade plus. Mm-hmm. It just, there's just no way. Um, so luckily I learned this time, just, just keep marching. Don't let yourself believe your own BS when it gets great. And don't let yourself get too low if it's not going well. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's great leadership skills too, because all of your employees are looking to you for some type of leadership. You know which direction to go in, and if they see that you know you become super emotional based on the roller coaster that you're on every single day, they follow in those footsteps as well. Yeah, it, that's that's so right, Maggie. So it's it's yeah. more I would say like steady optimism. Yeah. You know, or stable optimism is probably you know what I found to be the most effective. Yeah. Yeah. So we saw an article, I think about two years ago, yeah. about you rejecting Kroger's offer for $400 million and raises $111 million. Yeah. What was going through your mind at the time? This, yeah. this is life changing yeah. money right here. Yeah. And what made you come to that decision? Because, yeah, like Brian said, that is life changing money. And for a lot of people, $400 million, the first thought of it, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, this ride isn't over yet, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it the best decision ever just yet. You know, we'll see how this ends up. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think there's, like, technical reasons why it didn't work and then mm-hmm. also other reasons of just us wanting to continue to march. Mm-hmm. Um, we just felt like, you know, as a team, um, some of the options that were kind of uh, potentially there for us uh, and, and have been there for us just didn't just didn't, wouldn't have felt right if we had done it at that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, so luckily, you know, knock on wood, I say luckily now, you know, we are still an independent company, so we'll see how this next year shapes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if we had, if we had sold the company earlier, mm-hmm. I, I, in some ways, yeah, my life probably would have been different other ways. Um, 
I don't know, maybe I'd be kicking myself right now. It's like, man, it was, it was three years or four years before this, this, uh, this current environment where suddenly e-commerce grocery is the hottest thing you know, ever. Um, so you never know. Uh, but again, I just a day at a time. So that, that's how I take it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you could really respect that decision. Like you yeah. love it. Yeah. You smile when you read it. You're like, wow, this is awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, if, oh. but if you take a step back and to go back to your early days of fundraising, now what was that process like? Did you know investors already? Did you DM people on LinkedIn? A lot of people, this is inside the Asian House Networks, always, always asking, this is my idea, this is my pitch. Where can I find investors? I can't find any investors. So how did you get started with the process? Um, I, so I think the, I, I don't think Box is very indicative of kind of how it usually is raising money. I think we had an unfair advantage. So I'm, I'm so glad you started before Maggie on kind of Astro Ape because we had a good result. Um, we required Zynga IPO. Of course, the IPO collapsed, um, but still successful outcome for just about everyone involved. Um, and so that, so you then are able to pick up investors willing to write a blank check. Um, so, or, or a blind check, like whatever you do next, here's 500 grand or here's 300 grand, good luck. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Um, it wasn't that easy for the gaming company though. Um, um, and so I think the key there first is finding the right idea, making sure it's the right time for that idea. Um, so um, that's number one, because the right idea is not just a problem people have, but it's a problem that potentially tens of millions of people around the world, if not hundreds of millions have. Because every venture capitalist is gonna do the math. Okay, you take a standard online product, you whittle it down to conversion rates that are pretty realistic in this industry. And if you start with a problem that you know, 10,000 people have, and you whittle it down, it's like you can't build a funded business off 5,000 customers, you know, um, or even like, you know, 10,000 customers, you know, so, um, so that, uh, uh, that is also something people have to look for. Um, actually getting in touch with VCs is easier and easier these days. Um, my advice is that VCs, from what I've learned, um, they have a sort, certain filter themselves. Mm-hmm. So meaning that warm intros from other entrepreneurs that they have already invested usually comes at the top of the pile. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, okay, if you think this is a great idea and you like these folks, sure, I'll, I'll take an intro. Mm-hmm. Um, then comes uh, um, sometimes advisors. Right. So uh, higher profile or specialized venture capital, like attorneys or accountants, mm-hmm. in a certain way, they're, taking a, they're making a bet on you that you're going to be able to pay that professional services bill. Um, and so they pre-screen, a lot of these big Silicon Valley firms pre-screen who they're going to represent. So my why is very, uh, it's different uh, for Box. Like my why for Box has changed over time. So when we first started, my why was, you know, I thought it was a big opportunity. Could build a big, awesome company. Um, you know, financially it would be awesome as well. Uh, and that's kind of why you do it. Um, and then over time, probably by the second or third year, as we hired more and more folks, especially in the fulfillment center, my why started to become making sure that everyone that entrusted me with their livelihoods and their careers didn't misplace that trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would imagine founders and executives who have been at a company after a certain amount of time, it's no longer about the financials. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because uh, you could probably get the economics or better economics elsewhere. Yeah. Um, it's just more about the people around you. Um, I think my personal why is still around just, I don't know, maybe it's a quaint belief just to, that each generation should just build upon what a previous generation has mm-hmm. kind of built. And so in a little, little bit of ways, it's like a why not for me. Mm-hmm. Like when my parents came, you know, um, you know, language wasn't, wasn't high on their list of, of capabilities or abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know anyone really here. And so if they could be decently successful over time, then like my excuses having kind of, you know, or being a native English speaker and understanding the systems, uh, having a law degree, like you start to dwindle. Why not? You know, like I don't have any many excuses for not to be quote unquote successful. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's how I would answer that question. Yeah, that's, that's a really good answer. And your why, I mean, a lot of people within the Asian community and especially Asian hustle network always struggle with that word. You know, what is our why? Most of our why growing up is like getting straight A's or satisfying our parents or keeping our head down, working really hard. And it's really interesting to hear how that why has changed for, you know, Asian leaders, especially people who are born in America or Western countries. Because our why is dramatically different, you know? Yep. I, I do think so. And I think maybe the reason why I have been so – I, I I've continued to be passionate is that I think if money and economics is the only thing you're chasing, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's really tough unless you really want money, you know? And I think all of our reasons for living and reasons for trying hard and like trying to be successful change over time. And so if you're, if your goal, sole goal is just to make a lot of money, I think it gets tiring over time and, and you know, it's, it's not, it's probably not the right motivation for a marathon. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely agree. I, I think a lot of people go into entrepreneurship with that, with that perception, and they're never ever really happy because there's always going to be a bigger goal. You know, they're always mm-hmm. going to want to become more rich. But it sounds like you know you have you know other goals besides just money and economics. You know, you obviously treat your employees really well, and you know we see that everywhere. We see that in like every podcast and every interview mm-hmm. that you go through, and. You know, everyone knows that you treat your employees really well and that's like part of your business model. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, you know, what the type of things that you did for your employees and, and why you did those things? Yeah, and to follow up with Maggie's question as well, like we were watching videos about you not hiring jerks or dealing with executives. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, it's, it's um, uh, um, you know, when it comes to what we do for our, for our team here, um, I start off with the core tenant that I honestly believe that if I got hit by a bus as I le- as I leave the this building today, you know what? Like people who have ordered on box, you're still going to get your order. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? Like better or worse, uh, you know they're going to backfill me. They're going to find another great uh, uh, great CEO. Um, and and you know what? Life will go on. I think so. Um, when it comes to um, the rest of the team, if the fulfillment center employees and the rest of the company all walked out today, no one listening to this podcast right now is ever going to get their order again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so believing that those folks are in a lot of ways more collectively more important than me, like we start off there. Um, and so we then start with smaller things we can do that really are impactful for them. Yeah. One, 
free health insurance if you're a W-2 corporate or if you're a W-2 employee. If you're on the box team and you're in the fulfillment centers or anywhere, you have access to a free tier of health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, having access to an emergency fund, so 500 bucks. Like if you suddenly get presented with a bill, um, you know, if you're making uh, even a decent hourly wage, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably trying to make ends meet and suddenly being presented with a $500 bill for whatever expense, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to, to kind of uh, put that on the table out of your own pocket. Um, but what's interesting is that we haven't found abuse of those programs. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that $500 program, you would think it's shit. It's a no brainer. Probably 90% draw down that 500 bucks. Why wouldn't they? Actually, I think the numbers between 10 to 20% have tapped into it. Wow. Um, so because they know it's like, as long as people don't abuse it, it's there for them in that time of need and emergency. Yeah. If everyone abused it, then it's, you know, we just probably couldn't sustain it and that it would go away for everyone. So mm-hmm. it's been really interesting. And then the bigger stuff is life-changing benefits like, you know, like whether it's college tuition or, you know, people have pegged it as the wedding benefit. Uh-huh. Yes, you can get life-changing benefits include a wedding. So you've been with us. Yes, we will pay for that. Um, but actually what people don't really report on is that, you know, a lot of folks use it for medical bills, um, and like, and things like that, which are also life changing. So, um, so it's, it's a, it's a double edged sword, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that just having the employee's interest, uh, at that, at, like at the priorities, it's, it's awesome, you know, mm-hmm. because they, they do make up your company and, you know, as, as a leader, it's kind of unfortunate that you're right. Like you can be replaced, but at the same time, it's like, you can't discredit yourself neither. Like mm-hmm. it's being built around your vision and your why. And your why is to take care of everyone. And that's going to be sustainable within the organization. That's right. Um, and if you think about like, I guess for a lot of folks listening, you know, generally first generation coming to the U.S., like you have pretty tough times, you know, and so remembering that and trying to rectify that, I guess, has been the chip on my shoulder for as long as I can tell, you know, and so, and so now that I am in a position where we do lead a company of hundreds of folks um, that, you know, I do my little part of just making sure that, you know, some of the things that I didn't appreciate that were happening to my parents don't happen to someone else's parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a very simple why, but um, a very hard one to achieve oftentimes. Yeah, absolutely agree. And just to follow up with Maggie's question too, when you're finding your employees, especially your executives, what are some qualities that you tend to look for when you're hiring them? Uh, first and foremost, there is a very strict no asshole policy at Box. Uh, <laughs> selfishly, I mean, you guys know this, right? You probably spend more time with your coworkers. Like, you guys spend more time with each other mm-hmm. than probably your friends and family. Like, waking hours. That's the, that's the ultimate reality of work, right? Yeah. Um, and so, selfishly, I just don't want to spend time with people that are jerks. You know? I just like, I don't know why. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, we only hire nice people or uh-huh. like we accept people who are incapable. Yeah. Um, so it is one of the, you know, I think there are capable people out there that are not jerks and not assholes. And those are the folks we try to hire. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. They're rare. Some people actually love jerks because they're like, I don't care how they act. They just get stuff done. But yeah. it is super hard to work with a, a jerk every single day. Yeah. Actually, on that point, Maggie, I don't like so we have probably a lot of 
some of our engineers, they don't really talk to anyone. They come in, do their job. They're not interested in having a drink after work. They're not interested in having coffee with you. Mm -hmm. I don't see, that's perfectly fine with me. As long as that, I, you know, as long as you're not like nasty to other, yeah. other team members, that's all I'm looking for, you know? Um, and so it is that fine line though, when you're interviewing for folks, yeah. uh, because when you are interviewing, no one, you can't ask them, are you an asshole? No one ever says, yeah. <laughs> Some people do probably. They're like, yeah, <laughs> but in general, it, it, it is hard to, to 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 find out by just asking them. Yeah, yeah. that's where your emotional intelligence comes from. And yeah, exactly. to play. Yeah. yeah. And so if you shift gears a little bit and kind of focus on the people in Asian Hustle Network, I mean, as you mentioned before in our earlier in the early in the podcast, a lot of people in the network are trying to start a company or trying to. You know, executing their different ideas, but a lot of them have a job. You know, what are your tips and advice for people who still have jobs that want to pursue their side hustle, but don't know if they are willing to do it or are passionate enough to do it? A, you know, what's interesting about that question is that a significant amount of Americans have a side, side hustle. Yeah. Um, it is a shocking percentage um, that is eluding me right now. That's why people are probably listening like, well, what's the percentage? It's big. Everyone fire up Google right now. It is pretty big. Um, very shocking. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a very significant amount of Americans, if you Google it, that have a side hustle. Um, what you find is that, so one, having a side hustle isn't unique and it's actually probably the norm these days, you know, especially in you know, how the media portrays kind of starting your own business and, and branching off on your own and, and the hustle in general. Yeah. Um, I think what's really important is to, you know, for the folks that have those shots on goal that are a little bit freer or cheaper than others, take them. So meaning if you're listening to this and you're a student, your side hustle is basically free. Like if you fail at your side hustle, there are no repercussions, you know? And so, um, uh, so definitely if you find yourself in that position, you should take your shot. Mm -hmm. uh, for the folks that um, have graduated, have actually are supporting families or having are supporting a family, it's okay as well. Um, I think at some point in time, the only thing that is sure for all of us is that if it's successful, you will have to make a leap of faith into making your side hustle your full-time hustle. Um, and I think the right moment is always an illusion. Like it's just like just one more client or, you know, just one more month of positive sales, like then I'll quit my job and my side hustle will be there. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of that cliff diving example. Like you're just going to have to make that leap one day mm -hmm. and there will never be a hundred percent smooth transition. Yeah. 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 And we definitely want to hear this part from you as well. A lot of people are scared to make that jump. And when you look at people like yourself or listen to people like yourself, they're like, he's probably fearless. He's never, you know, he, <laughs> he could, he could do it. He maybe has some sort of superpowers that I don't have. I, I just want you to reiterate that it's okay to be scared and uncomfortable because <laughs> it's normal. It's normal. Like it's normal. Like I think um, the reason why I made that jump was um, being at the law firm and staying late and looking and, and, reading about some of the clients that were very successful, I realized that they were smart people um, that took a risk at the right time and then were in the right place. That, I think that is a common theme. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of respect for a lot of those businesses we represented. Um, I don't purport to have superpowers. I don't think anyone else does either. 
I think a lot of it is timing, luck, hard work, and just risk tolerance. Yeah. Um, and so the, when you think about it though, like those are very uncertain things that you don't have a lot of control over, like risk tolerance, you know, like luck, timing. Uh-huh. And so as a biological being, like we are, those are things that actually scare us, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be nervous and anxious. If you're not, then I would question like if your heart is beating, like, you know, <laughs> uh, or if you're just lying, you know, so all of us feel it. So I, I think it's fine. and It's normal. Yeah, yeah. That, that's so powerful for our listeners to hear because when you talk to people in the community or anyone who wants to get started, they always doubt themselves. Like, maybe I can't do it because I'm not capable. Maybe someone else has a special edge or a different mindset or you just don't feel scared. But mm-hmm. I feel so scared to make that jump, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really powerful for you to say that it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot, um, Jay. And how you mentioned about it's a mixture of luck and hard work and timing right that's so accurate because some people think it's all hard work and then Mm. some people think it's all luck right people think you have a rich daddy (laughs) yeah but like timing is also so important like if you look at like bill gates right he had so many opportunities timing timing was right they're just like entrepreneurs who have the exact right timing for those opportunities to happen and i think some people get tripped up about that because they think oh if i don't have the right timing, maybe I missed my train, you know, maybe like I can just give up, right? Because I already missed that train, like, just give up on everything. But at the same time, it's like, why don't you jump right into it as soon as possible, right? So that you open up the doors for you to like see opportunities at every perspective. And I think like, the faster that you're able to make that jump, then it's like law of attraction, right? Like you're at like act, we're actively trying to look for opportunities and those opportunities will come to you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. And you know, when, if you think about the world today, how fast it's changing, mm-hmm. like think about the, how much shit has happened in 2020. Like entrepreneurs, like in a lot of ways, you got like, we're all like traders in a sense that uh, traders don't make money if there's no volatility in the market. Mm-hmm. If everything's very stable, the big companies remain big then there's no opportunity for us. But all this uncertainty creates a lot of opportunity. Um, uh, It creates new markets, creates new demand, uh, changing kind of formats of demand. And if you're digitally savvy, if you're doing a tech business, uh, or if you're savvy in your own right in whatever industry you're in, um, chances are like you probably have ideas and kind of, the wherewithal to make it happen more so than the incumbents. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and then, but you just have to make that leap at one time. Definitely. Definitely. And kind of curious too, like how do you view failure and, you know, Asian culture, we are perfectionists. We want to have things done in a certain way become successful. So a lot of us don't make that jump because we're scared of failure. Uh, but in actuality, you know, being entrepreneurs, I'm pretty sure um, you can kind of speak on this as well. So you draw on every experience in your life, good and bad to to form who what you want to do like your company that vision like what is that what is that going to happen you know so how do you currently view failure and how has failure helped you grow box into the company it is today i um so first this might be controversial but um you know there's like i think the prevailing wisdom is that you know failure is celebrated uh Mm -hmm. in the technology world Mm-hmm. I think that's bullshit, man. Like, I don't know. I've never gone to meetings or met other folks that just like, 
that's a great L you put up, you know, like, Damn Ellen, you know, like <laughs> all the way into the sunset, you know, like L L L, you know, um, it sucks. Like we failed in projects and you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of things that haven't been successful and it doesn't feel good, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's one myth I do want to dispel, at least from a personal standpoint, I don't like failing. Mm-hmm. What I will say though, is that I have learned way more in, my kind of unsuccessful attempts at things than I have in my successful attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say box could not, could not have scaled to where it was today. If, a lot, if this was our first venture, mm-hmm. because I learned so much that we, so many things that we did wrong in our first venture that I'm like, wow, I would never do that again. Well, I won't do that again. And then when we went to Zynga, you know, seeing the crazy IPO, then an IPO that busted, I learned a lot from that too. And so I, I think failure is, isn't fun. You know, I don't think it's really celebrated, mm-hmm. but the lessons are really important. Mm-hmm. That is how I would describe failure and the importance of it. Definitely agree. Yeah. Um, I'm very curious. How do you view com- competition and how do you manage to stay on top despite, you know, so much competition in this space? Yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of ways like, you know, social mobile gaming and like, yeah. You know, e-commerce, like, like consumables e-commerce, like one of our investors who's known us across both companies has, was like, you guys really like pain, don't you? Like, why don't you fix it? <laughs> like, um, but, uh, I think competition is ever present. I think it's like a sliding scale, right? It's like you pick most likely if you pick markets that are less competitive, it's probably less of a TAM and just probably not as many people going after it. There's probably certain reasons, unless sometimes you find something, you truly invent the future. Um, but if you go after markets that are very competitive, uh, to a certain extent, I, I actually think it's also, you know, it, it's also competitive because the TAM and the opportunity is probably huge. Uh, and so it's trying to find that balance. Now, I would say with what we do at Box, probably skews pretty far towards that red line of like, hey, hello, there's some, like in your market, there's some of the biggest companies on the face of the earth that compete against you. Um, but at the same time, look at us, like, you know, from $40,000 in sales from the first year to hundreds of millions of dollars just a few years later, like, you know, competition is tough. It's fierce, but it's also allowed us to get to a certain scale, um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's a, that's that's really awesome to hear about competition. And I I just want to take one step back and, understand what is your turning point of everything where you know you're working your corporate job and you one day you just wake up and be like oh it's not what i want to do you have like uh your life crisis in place and you start start evaluating your life from a third-party perspective is this is my legacy like what was that turning point like for you and at what age is that happening for you you know it's probably when i left the law firm so 20 Wow, well, I was like 20, 27 or 28 when I left the law firm. Mm-hmm. I had the turning point from a technical perspective was when I had a year of runway, personal runway. I saved a year where I could keep my apartment and, and live my normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, keep my lifestyle. How about that? You know, um, and then I think the other turning point for me was that, man, like the path that I'm on can yield a great life, but I don't know if it's going to be an enjoyable life for me. It's not the life I want. Like being a corner office law firm partner is, can be a great life and a respectable one, but that's just not what I wanted in the end. And so I knew like the longer I was staying, 
like diminishing rate of returns. Like I was learning and like, but over time it's like, what am I gonna do? Stay another six years? Like, and you know, what do I get out of that? Like I'll know how to do my own IPO. No one ever does their own IPO, no matter how skilled you are, you know? So it's like heavily diminishing rate of returns, at least for me going into my third year at the law firm. So, um, so that was a turning point for me. Pretty technical. Um, I'm sorry if that wasn't a very inspiring kind of message to everyone, but for me, it was very technical. It was like, I got a year of savings. Um, I got all, I I think I'm going to get from a law firm that's going to be useful for me. Um, and so time to move on to something I'm passionate about. Yeah. I I love that too. And I can totally relate to that statement as well. I I saved up for about a year and I had to make sure that I had a couple of hundreds of thousands, I mean, not hundreds of thousands, like a couple <laughs> thousand dollars coming in from cash flowing from rental yep. properties. But I was purposely investing into rental properties to free up my time. So I, I knew, because I, I, I haven't, I'm like the type of guy that jumped into entrepreneurship a couple times. But the reason why I kept failing is because I'm like, oh no, I need to pay my bills. And two months later. Dude, that is a, that is a big thing, man. That is, that, a lot of folks don't realize that, is that, you know, you always get asked like what your company runway is, but like, you got to think about what your personal runway is because there's no better way to make a shitty decision than to be influenced by your own personal like runway, like shortening. Um, I think you're going to make probably suboptimal decisions if that's the case. Yeah. Because it it fuzzies your mind. You can't really think clear Mm because you always have to think about your livelihood. That's right. And you can't take those risks that you need to in order to become Mm -hmm. successful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, so I remember the first month after I quit my job, you know, thinking that I, I have 12 full months at this, like, I was like, we're just gonna, I'm, I didn't even think about it, you know? So it's just like, so uh, luckily we raised money after probably three months or so, three to four months mm-hmm. at it. So it never, then it just became, you know, I, I actually paid myself a salary, et cetera. But, you know, luckily I didn't even think about it because I knew I had a full year to, to go after it. Mm-hmm. And then actually if a full year didn't work out or it's not going anywhere, then at least in my mind, I was, this was a personal preference. I thought, I gave it a shot. Like if I'm in a rocking chair, like in 80 years, I could say, no, I quit my job. I've spent, a, I burned through a years of savings to do this and it didn't work out. So, you know, just didn't work out for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Love it. No, great advice. So one year of savings, I'll take your word for it, Jay. Yeah, one. I'll blame you if, 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 if I don't succeed in one year. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> some people it's two years, some people it's six months. It's whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever you feel like is a straight face answer to um, you in yeah. 40 years. Yeah. Amazing. Love the advice. Um, so what is one final advice that you can give to an aspiring entrepreneur? If you can put it in like one sentence or one paragraph, what would that be? Ooh, very good question. I would say leave it all on the court. So meaning that what I learned being so st- at our first company, I was so stressed. I slept. I was uh, thinking about, it. I was up late at night, waking up at 2 AM checking emails. It's like, it's a vicious cycle of like not getting good sleep and, and just being stressed. It, it, you'll burn out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and so you have to learn to leave it all on the court, as they say, you know, of just like try your hardest during the working hours, whatever your working hours are. Mm-hmm. then you need to take care of yourself, shut it down for the night, get that night's sleep and go after it with the same fervor every day. Cause it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that is the only reason that I've been able to last now almost, almost going into eight years at this job, mm-hmm. um, being full speed every day is that, mm-hmm. you know, at night 
I, I, I sleep quite well because I'm like, ain't nothing I could do at 3 a.m. to change the outcome in, in our business. And in fact, I'm probably going to make pretty terrible decisions at 3 a.m., you know, and piss off all my other coworkers. Like if they get it, if they get the email, they have to decide to respond to this crazy dude at 3 a.m. So I, I'm like that. At the same time, I'm not in bed by nine. So I'm not saying that you could do it like a nine to five have dinner and you're in bed by nine. No, but you know, you have to take care of yourself and leave it all on the court and yeah. just, you know, get a good night's rest. That's a great, great advice. A, a lot of people are just like, I need to go all in entrepreneurship, six hours a week, seven hours a week, 80 hours a week. Yeah. Screw it. It's my business, you know? It's like about 2am, 3am every day because I hustle hard. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Love it. Um, well, it was amazing hearing your story, Chang. Thank you so much for sharing everything about Box, your own story, your personal life, um, and how you got so successful. Is there any way that our listeners can reach out to you or learn more about you? Yeah. Um, you know, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Astro Che. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I don't get to all my LinkedIn invites, uh, but uh, I'm pretty easy to find across the internet. So, um, And then, you know, we talked a lot about career changes. Um, I Shameless plug, I've, I've done two tech, TED Talks now. One about micromanaging, which um, uh, probably everyone here as a founder will know that it's very tempting to be a micromanager. And then the other one's about career changes. So look it up on TED.com and, and you can see my ugly mug. Brian and I can vouch for that TED Talk. It was so good. We listened to both of them. It was so funny. Jay, you, should, you should consider stand-up comedy because oh, yeah. it was so yeah. good. I love drinks and I will. So, yeah. awesome. awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. It was awesome having you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Jay. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much. This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asian to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron.